0: to the valley to peak nutrition podcast and welcome to 2023 we're kicking off a series that is called no off season no off season has historically been used in the training world to suggest that there's never a point in your training where you're not pushing yourself that you're trying to maintain high intensity year round that's not what this is this is a common fix to a problem many folks wait until late spring or early summer to prepare for a big endeavor or a goal that they've got planned There's nothing necessarily wrong with that timeline, except for the fact that their big plan is only weeks away and the preparation to really be ready for that trip requires months of work. This series is designed to help you to get thinking about those things now. So there's nothing to prepare for when it comes time. You're already ready. As the old adage goes, the best way to get ready is to stay ready. The first episode, we tackle how to dehydrate your own meals for the backcountry. This is a topic that can seem quite overwhelming for a lot of folks, but Mark and I wanted to sit down and tackle what we have found to be the five biggest barriers that prevent people from getting started, why there really nothing is to fear, and some practical advice on how to get around those fears and to start diving into making your own meals. We reference a few key resources in the podcast, and those will be linked in the show notes so you can find them easily. As always, if you have any questions about something you hear on the show, shoot us an email at info at v2pnutrition.com. Hope you enjoy the episode. The topic's so big, like the the way that I thought to break it down was, number one, trying to think back on before I ever dehydrated anything, trying to come up with like, what are the biggest questions that I had? And then in the time since then, and since we, you know, gave out that guide, um, trying to remember like what are some of the biggest questions that people have in terms of getting started actually do you remember back when you first started dehydrating like some of the man i I wonder i wonder what i should do here with this do you remember any of the big ones
1: i feel like some of them for me and then some of what i hear from people now is just like equipment wise right like what do you need um And then just being like, until you've done it, you're so unfamiliar with the process that even like understanding what it is like, and I remember thinking, I'm either going to mess this up and ruin food, like burn it or overcook it or, you know, do something on the far end of like, I way too dehydrated this thing, or I'm not going to successfully dehydrate it and then eat something that's like unsafe, if that makes sense. Um, so I think just equipment process, like kind of what ties in with what I just said, like, how do you tell when it's done type thing, you know, when it's dehydrated um, and then some of what you can and can't dehydrate. Um, I think those big things come to mind. And if you see me looking over here, I pulled up your guide. That's why I'm, um, I am I think your guides freaking so good, though. Oh, thank you. It's Just a matter of how much, like how deep do you want to get, you know, today? So.
0: Yeah, the I mean those were some of the same questions I had too. Specific, like I remember one of the, and maybe this, maybe this even sort of addresses the the question. Although I know you know the answer now, of like, I don't want to dehydrate it too much, but the very act of dehydrating is like <laughs> you're removing the water. Yeah. And you, like you can't overdo it. I think the one caveat, and we'll jump into this because that's actually one of the main five points, is jerky. I definitely think you can screw jerky up if you let yeah. it sit too long. The first one that I plugged in there was um, as as like one of the number one questions, and one of the number ones that I had was, "What machine do I actually buy?" Mm-hmm. Right? Like of all of the options that are out there, and like analyzing it at the time, one of the big ones on the market at least one of the ones that seemed the most popular was that circular Ronco one, which mm-hmm. was actually my first one. Do you have any, like, do, did you have any sort of flow chart decision-making tree type of a thing that you went through until you, did you have multiple units that you bought or how did you decide on which one to actually buy?
1: Um, For me, like re yeah, research. I didn't try a bunch of different machines. I looked at like those, the, You know, those circular machines, like the Ronka you mentioned, are the common budget simple option. Um, I did do some nerdery on like a top or rear mounted or sorry, top bottom fan versus like a rear mounted fan and circulation and what, you know, like I have the Excalibur, so I went nice, but like what that does for drying and airflow and um, consistency without having to move trays like up or down or shift them around and um, size was a factor for me. Uh, where I wanted to be able to make bigger batches of things and dehydrate it at once, and not like, oh, you know, I have this great, cute little dehydrator, but like the actual capacity is pretty insufficient. Um, and then I didn't want anything, like, there's, especially now on Amazon, there's a lot of dehydrators with like timers and electronics and like touch screens and digital displays and all this stuff. And for me, I was like, I don't want all that. I just want something like simple and hopefully reliable. Um, and so Excalibur kind of checked all those boxes and had a great, you know, reputation at a cost, right? Like, I think I spent $300, not 60 or 80. Um, but I also knew that I was going to do it for the long term. So to me, it was just one of those decisions where I was like, all right, I want one good, simple, reliable, capable one, not fuss around with getting the cheap one, figuring out I don't like it. And then potentially upgrading later type thing.
0: Yeah, I think I think this is probably one area that's worth the whole buy once cry once thing especially if you feel like you're if if you have a if you have a, a hunch that you're going to enjoy it and stick with it. It is definitely worth investing because you get, you know, nicer components and stuff and I I definitely tend to go in the same lines with you of you know give me the manual windows manual seats because it's one less thing to fail Mm -hmm. i uh i bought a i bought a tacoma once from a guy up in washington an old pilot and i was like well you know what what made you go with all of the the basics and he's like it's less things to fail i was like man that's spoken like a true pilot (laughs) yeah the uh you made a comment earlier and i think it's a i think it's something worth knowing as people try to decide like what is a good um option and maybe maybe you don't have a ton of options maybe you're like look i've got 60 bucks to invest in this i'm interested but i'm not going to fork over 300 do you find any value in rear mounted fans versus ones that are mounted above versus or, or or vice versa rear mounted fans being better or i'm sorry top mounted fans being better than rear do you have a preference on one or the
1: other I, again, I haven't used them both, so I'm only like armchair quarterbacking this based off of what I read. And this was all research from years ago. Um, but the rear mounted fan and the simpler like box design of an Excalibur is going to circulate airflow more evenly. Um, and then if you have like a top mounted fan, you know, it's, it's hitting that top tray with more air, more heat and not so much those bottom trays. So it's essentially becoming a little bit less efficient as the air works its way vertically, whether this is up or down, like through layers of trays. Whereas you take the same layers of trays, like my Excalibur is a nine-tray machine, um, but the airflow is coming from behind and hitting all those trays more evenly. And yes, front to back, you can make the argument that theoretically you know, it is hitting the rear of the tray more than the front, but I've just found that the fan is strong enough that it does work its way up front. Um, And again, if you think top to bottom, it's not only working its way through the trays, but through the food, right? So it's not that it's just you have this tray that allows airflow. The tray itself does, but it's trying to penetrate layers of food. So if you had a a vertical machine with like six layers, eight layers, 10 layers, you know, the the 10th layer... You have air trying to make its way all the way through not only the the trays, but the food to get it up or down to that final layer, if that makes sense. So that's the kind of the argument for the rear um, rear fan machines. It makes sense in my head. I bought that theory hook, line and sinker when I bought, when I bought my Excalibur and I will say it is very consistent. So um, I don't have the experience with the other units, but that's the the design intent behind like a rear fan
0: yeah uh, yeah it's a excellent explanation so i have i have both i started and have done like the bulk of my dehydrating with that cheap ronco which is is a circular kind of machine and it's got a top mounted fan and then a couple of maybe a couple of years ago i think i bought a um made with meat machines like a stainless machine it's got a front window versus being a top mounted fan or a, a you know like a top mounted circular system and then it, this has a rear mounted fan i think that like it's all a matter of how how much do you want to just set it and forget it versus how much are you not bothered by being inconvenienced with the circular one the ronco one your 100 your theory is 100 percent right you get a very inconsistency in terms of drying so the top stuff's going to dry a lot faster because it's the closest to the fan the stuff on the bottom is going to take a little bit longer but again if you're not bugged by that and the cost savings is worth it or you don't have another option it's nothing that can't be fixed by just rotating trays and you know like this will make sense as you start to get into it but even taking part of the recipe and like if part of it's done you take it off but leave the rest of the wet on until it's finished and so there's a lot of different options and it's all going to be really based on kind of if you're if you're willing to be inconvenienced or not i will say one thing that i do like a lot about the square unit is the door is on the front so you can see what's happening a lot easier with the um with the with the circular system You're having to not only take the top off, which isn't a big deal, but then you're having to like shuffle trays all around and it can, it can just be kind of clunky. So the the square system, both of them will work great. You're just going to have to finagle the circular one better. The square one's much more convenient in terms of just setting it and forgetting it. And if you did have to rotate a tray, which theoretically you shouldn't because the air is distributed evenly. But if you did, it's just a matter of opening a door like your oven, shuffling the tray, and then moving on. So yeah, in my opinion, what machines should you buy is going to be largely driven based on how much money you want to spend or have to spend. If all you have is $80, bucks, i would say get the little circular Ronco or an equivalent brand. It will still work. If you've got the money and you really want to go, you know, like the Gucci version... Excalibur has a great reputation. You can get a giant one if you wanted one, right? That could do your meals for an entire season in one batch if you wanted to. And I would say that my made with meat one is probably somewhere right in the middle. I think I paid like, I think I paid 130 bucks for it on a sale and it's 10 trays if I remember right. So it'll still do, you know, it'll still do a batch of chili, still do a good amount of jerky. It's great for just me, you know, if, and you know, like right now, and this is why we're releasing this right now. I'll cook a batch of chili on a Saturday, throw it in there on a Sunday. And, you know, like I'll do that periodically throughout the entire year where you don't feel the pressure of an upcoming trip. And then when the, you know, the season comes it's all packaged and ready to go you Just you just grab it and, and you go. So I don't think there's a wrong option in terms of buying a machine. It just depends on how much money you want to spend as well as how much you feel like being involved in the process versus just putting it in the machine, turning it
1: on and moving on. Yeah, I will say that I don't necessarily mind baby and stuff a little bit, but with dehydrating in particular, especially as you get into items that have a longer dry time, Um, it's great to not have to rotate trays because there's plenty of things that I'll dehydrate that may be like an eight or a 12-hour runtime. And it's so nice to be able to start that at 8 p.m. and then just have an alarm set for 8 a.m. the next morning and it's done. If I had a machine that didn't dry evenly, doing things overnight or starting something before the workday and then when you get home that night become less possible or less effective because that cheaper machine's not drying as even. So being able to just be like, Oh yeah, eight, 10, 12 hours later, I'm just going to go pull this and it's going to be done. It's going to be even is really nice. Um, I did, I did misquote. I didn't I want to check my price. I went back to Amazon from 2017. Thank you. Amazon order history. And uh, my nitro excalibur was two hundred bucks at the time. I don't know what it is currently.
0: And I'd imagine like you can get. They've been around a a while. I'd imagine you can get some good deals on them throughout the course of the year if you if you watch. And and to your point, um, there have been several times where I've shut it off before we go to bed because I, you know, like I knew it would have been way too long just to sit in there by itself, and then turned it on whenever I woke up. So. To, to your point, you're right. That is really nice whenever you can just leave it, let it go for 12 hours or whatever. You don't have to touch it versus, you know, with the round one, it seemed like whether it was a meal like chili or whether it was jerky or even fruit, I'm constantly having to jump in there and check, you like, know, okay, like what parts are done, what parts aren't done, pulling the parts that are, leaving the parts that aren't. And it, was, it wasn't like I, w- I didn't make a big deal out of it. It wasn't like... Didn't take hours out of my life, but definitely more of an inconvenience than. It, we'll put it like this: it could be enough of an inconvenience that prevents you from doing it a second time. And if that's the it case, could be. yeah. If that's the case, then yeah, I'd, I think personally, I think if you have the 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 money set aside for it, get a rear mounted one with a get a rear mounted fan, square in shape, and I also like the stainless more than the plastic.
1: Yeah, yeah, I love what you said about like. Doing this throughout the year and in batches, because literally last night my wife made chili mac, which is one of my favorite meals to dehydrate in and have for the fall. And uh, it's also one of those meals. Sometimes she makes it, and we just burn through it. But it is a big batch, and so we have leftovers in the fridge right now that I've like, all right, if these aren't gone in the next two or three days, right? If myself or my wife or my son does not eat this in the next two to three days, it's going in the dehydrator. And to just be able to do that really simply is so nice. Like, yeah, I'm just going to throw it on, put it in, dehydrate it. I didn't make extra food. I'm just doing this through the year. Um, dehydrate it, package it, throw it in the freezer. And it's there for September, October next year.
0: You're a better husband than I am. I usually just like make a batch of chili, let the the delicious smell
1: waft throughout <laughs> the house and then dehydrate the entire thing <laughs> without giving d- anybody. Yeah. Any. <laughs> so I will do that in the summer, if I haven't stocked, you know, enough away. Right. So I'll, you know, times throughout the year, stock some meals away. But if what, especially once I know what all my hunt plans are, it's like, all right, it's June. I know I have, you know, X many nights potentially in the field. How many meals do I have? What do I need to make? And I'll make batches at that time. I think, uh, yeah. One of
0: the questions I've got written
1: in here is what can I dehydrate?
0: So I'm going to, Oh, I want to leak it now, but I'm going to come back to it. How long, so this this is like common question number two, how long do you dry the food? And I have found like what you had mentioned earlier, this is kind of one of those things that people are worried about. They're either worried about cooking it too short and getting sick, cooking it too long and, and you said it perfect, quote unquote, ruining it. What are some average dry times that you've found between things like meals or maybe snacks that you've made or
1: jerky or anything else? Yeah. I I'll say there's some variety here and I'm just going to like list some some of my go-tos. Um it's like one of the I have a document pulled up with just information that I've saved whether that's resources I found online which There's a million great resources to go look at online to get starting points. But then I'll often make notes of what I did and what worked, or maybe how I want to tweak it. So, um, like fruit, like apples and bananas, which I slice, um, do like a medium thickness slice. I'll do those at a lower temp, like 115 ish, for about 12 hours. Um, And part of this is going to depend on what I mentioned about the slice, like how thick it is, how thick is it to begin with and then somewhat preference like with fruit you can dry it longer and it gets like a little bit crispier or you can dry it where it's still stable but it's like a little more pliable and chewy uh, a little bit if that makes sense and then uh wasn't planning on going here but while we're here speaking of slicing if you're doing anything whether that's fruit or jerky or etc consistency matters right so we talked about like things drying at, at different levels or at different rates the thickness of in this case fruit or jerky if your slices are all over the map in terms of thickness obviously a thicker slice is going to take longer to dry and so I got a um, like a mandolin slicer which is perfect for fruit it keeps everything consistent but it's also crazy crazy fast and so I'll just set that up and go through bananas and apples and everything's consistent uh, again very quick so that's like an example of something I would throw in, um, overnight this fruit and let it go for around 12 hours or so. Um, you know, like I just mentioned chili Mac. So that's an example of a meal that I've made and it's complete, like it's ready to eat. Again, I could pull out leftovers of the fridge right now and throw it in the dehydrator. And I would do those a little bit higher, like 135 or so for temp and then go eight to nine hours on that um and then there's some meals and this is getting kind of down a rabbit hole but like my spaghetti recipe for example you can make spaghetti complete as a ready to eat meal and dehydrate it i've taken the approach of making the ingredients separate and so i dehydrate the ground meat by itself i dehydrate the noodles by itself, and you know, I dehydrate the sauce by itself, and then I can com- combine those three dried ingredients into the packaging, um, if that makes sense. So, um, just to give you like a rough idea on times, if I'm dehydrating ground meat, um, again, it's already been cooked. I'm taking it, dehydrating it. It's gonna be about 145 for four hours um, cooked noodles, like a, will often use like a macaroni in my spaghetti just for packaging reasons. And we can nerd out on that later. Um, I'll dehydrate that about 135 for four hours. And then the sauce kind of depends on the temp, but it's going to go a little bit longer, closer to like, six to eight, maybe 10 hours if you did it at a lower temp. Um, So I know I threw a lot in there, but I would say anywhere from four hours to 12 hours, kind of depending on what you're doing. And that may sound like a A giant what if variable because 12 hours is three times as long as four hours. But again, there's great recommendations and guidelines out there. And At the end of the day, this isn't back to your point, Kyle, so sensitive that you can like over dry it really, especially with ingredients like noodles or a sauce that you're turned into a leather, um, things like that. So I just started not knowing much looking at recommendations that I found online. I would look at two or three different sources kind of come up with the average of what people are saying and try it.
0: Yeah, I think it's a, that's a great idea and um you can you can you can like do what you had mentioned in terms of dehydrating things separately and you can also cook them, but I will say it like you can you can cook the recipe as a whole and then dehydrate it as a whole, like you could make spaghetti and dehydrate it or do the individual parts like you were talking about. I will say something I've tried that did not work is you, you take stuff like quick cooking rice and even rice noodles, which are relatively quick cooking. I have tried to take the shortcut route. Like I've had dehydrated ground meat on hand and then I've just thrown some rice in a bag, thrown that in and thought it would be good. It is not, <laughs> <laughs> it is not good. It, so it, it, you, you could, you could prepare those things, On a trip the same way you would at home, but you would use so much fuel doing it Mm -hmm. that it would almost be senseless to do that. It's way better. And I know it doesn't make sense to cook minute rice and then take all the water out and then rehydrate it in the field. But it, it just, it, it, it cooks up so much easier, so much faster, way less fuel Doing that. So take the time, even for something like that, that you would normally boil at home. You think, well, you know, I'll just boil it in the back country. It'd be the same. It's not the same at all. It's pretty crunchy and it's hard to get good consistency. It takes a ton of fuel because you got to keep cooking it. So it's better. Even like, like you were saying, even if you're going to do the individual parts before you go, take the time to actually cook them and then dehydrate them because it'll be, it'll be a lot better for um, pretty much comparable in terms of how long I've found that it takes to dry food. The one thing that I did find was, you know, once you start, this is kind of one of those things that once you start, it will just make sense to you. And if it's, if it's still wet at all, it needs to stay on longer, right? Whether it's jerky, because most jerky is going to at least have a marinade on it. If the jerky's still wet, it still seems like just warm meat rather than jerky. It needs to stay on longer. If there's parts of chili or meal or soup where the outer edges seem kind of dried and crusted, but the inner part is still wet, like you pick it up off of the mat, off the silicone mat, and there's residue on it, and it still is literally wet, it needs to stay on longer. So there's stuff like that that you'll look at and and just realize like, um, I'm not an expert, but this does not look like it should. and just throw it back on like check it again in an hour and you'll start to build a rhythm for some of these times and like i know that it can seem intimidating but it's it's it is truly at least i have found one of those deals like once you get in it it's it's almost obvious that you know
1: it needs to stay on longer okay this looks like it's probably done yeah and on that point like um this somewhat relatable to how i was talking about slicing but same for like a chili if you have something with say ground meat in it, because that's something for me is incredibly common. If I, if I make a meal and notice any large chunks, I'm trying to break those up and spread them out. Um, so not only larger chunks of meat, but just in general, anytime I'm dehydrating something, if I have the real estate to do it, I'm trying to kind of spread it out as thin as possible. Um, it works out great for me, for for my trays and the size that they are to do that, because With most of my meals, it's essential. And this is especially true for, like, say, the chili mac to reuse that example. All I do for portioning is take, like, if I were to make a giant batch of fresh chili mac and I wanted to to dehydrate all of it for, you know, next fall, I would make the recipe as normal, just like we're going to eat it at home. And for what I do personally is I just, like, portion that out of like, all right, I'm scooping until I see what looks like a good hearty portion that's going to sound good in the cooked, non-dried form. And just put that on one tray. And then kind of repeat that um, and put that on another tray. And then when everything is dry, I just know each tray is a meal. And it's like, I, people get crazy with like weighing before and after and doing all this stuff. And that's fine if you want to geek out. But for me, it's just like... What's what's a good like? What would I eat tonight? And I'll usually add a little more because in the back country, I'm gonna have a heartier appetite. And then just put that on a tray, and that's a meal.
0: Yeah, yeah. I th-
1: I mean I've done I've done that,
0: and even um even like break it all up into a bowl and just scoop you know put one cup in a ziploc baggie. And if that ends up making five ziploc baggies, like you'll look at that and think, man, I hope that's enough. But I had to remind myself like remember this was a giant batch of chili. So yeah, it's going to cook up. It will be hearty enough whenever you're, whenever you're out there and yeah, you can get as, I mean, you can get as technical as you want with it, but ultimately like, and I think that this is true of all planning whenever it comes to nutrition and, and being able to go outside and enjoy stuff like on a big trip, if the anxiety of planning starts to overwhelm you, like missing the point, the whole point is to enjoy it and have fun. Right. And so if you're if you're like if you're obsessing about that and i think that so this leads into the third question uh what can i dehydrate versus what can't i i think um so even if you're not a cook uh even if you don't cook at all i have there's been times where i don't have the time to make something put it on the dehydrator and package it and i will just dehydrate a can of chili i will literally open the can dump it on the tray and turn the dehydrator on done that with chili yeah, spaghettios, vegetables, frozen fruit. Like if I don't, you know, a a bag of frozen blueberries pound for pound or ounce for ounce is going to be less than fresh. So I'll buy a pound, I'll buy a big bag of frozen blueberries, throw those in the dehydrator. And obviously the, the act of dehydrating is just taking the water out. So they come out the same as though they were fresh. So I'll take some of
1: that Convenient. straight out of the freezer. I haven't done this, so I'm asking questions. Yeah, straight out yeah. of the
0: freezer. Straight out of the freezer. I've done that for veggies too. Like, I've looked at some of my meal plans. I'm like, oh man, this is just this is gonna be a gut bomb. I've got to throw something in here for variety. And so I'll I'll throw like a uh, just a frozen bag of mixed veggies, f- still frozen, on the tray, and throw the dehydrator on you maybe i've never tried this you might be able to make the argument of less time if you let them thaw first because obviously they have to go from the frozen to thawed
1: then to dehydrated but i almost wonder if it's the opposite i almost wonder if going from frozen and having the the low to mild heat is like evaporating moisture quicker as it's thawing rather than if you were to like let it thaw to say room temp it's going to actually have a lot of moisture content i've I heard i don't know
0: I, I've heard like of of people that have tried it, they, you know, they, it's, it's not big enough of a deal for them to change. They still go frozen straight into it. And even I remember eating this meal, actually, even eating it, they rehydrate great. I mean, you know, and I think in that, you know, the mixed veggies so far, I've had, I've had everything from zucchini to carrots, to corn, to green beans, to a bunch of different things. And they've all done great they've all been great wow. and added great variety into it i'm excited so. to try this now
1: i'll tell you another i'm, one. I'm glad, glad i this. tuned into this podcast girl. thank you <laughs>
0: i'm glad you did too this is going to sound very uh, uh very Silicon valley but um <laughs> i have dehydrated kale and thrown like and then you know like so once it dehydrates it's very brittle it goes super fast And even like crush that up and throw it in with couscous and parmesan and
1: some like dehydrated meat. You've only done this like while purely backpacking, not hunting, though, right? Those are (laughs) two like (laughs) it's like the antithesis of hunting,
0: right? I've got I'm sitting there after a day of hunting, (laughs) eating couscous with
1: parmesan cheese and crushed kale. That does sound very ironic, but sadly. Well maybe it's like very inspiring to be like, I really should have had some protein in this. I really need to get something in the freezer. That's right. It's like reverse psychology and motivation.
0: It spurs on actually sadly that day we did shoot a grouse, so we did have meat. So the I think the appetite for meat went down after that. But
1: All right, I like it.
0: But anyway, it was good. And it, you know, added a little bit of color. And so I guess it depends on how how bougie you want to be with it. But has there been anything in particular you've tried to dehydrate that you felt like, yeah, that
1: just didn't work? Um, the one that comes to mind, and I haven't, honestly, I haven't like researched a better way to do this because I've seen people do it, but I've also, I think it is sensitive or tough. Is I tried to, I'm trying to think if I did this straight or not. Anyway, pulled pork. Um, I can't remember if it was like straight pulled pork meat. Just, you know, with barbecue sauce or if I had pulled pork mixed with something in a meal. Um, But anyway, it did not go great. Parts of it were fine. Parts of it were like just gross. Um, And so that one didn't go well. And what's funny about this is, sorry, peak refuel guys, but one of the only meals I don't like from them is their like sweet pork or something, something. So now like maybe it's just in my head, but now the idea of dehydrated Pork, like pulled pork, just because one I ruined it and two I don't really like that peak meal. I yeah, I just haven't get done it, it since. Yeah, there's I probably a have, way to do it. I should look.
0: I have, and you'll appreciate this because this is regionally based. I can't even get my hands on this stuff anymore. But I, my dad, a couple of years ago, brought out two. There's, there's like, there's three quintessential Midwest things from home that. I'm so excited to hear this. I know you, and you'll hear them all and be like, oh my gosh that you can't get here. So when he would come and visit, he'd bring them. One of them was ski the drink, Uh right? Which is like a, like a different
1: version of Mountain Dew kind of. The Uh, best, like best barbecue place in St. Louis. That's all they carry for their fountain sodas is ski. Is ski. Oh man. There, there
0: is one place here you can get a ski and it is actually, um, you may have been there. Have you ever been to that candy shop down in bound crossing? Has Steve ever taken? there? Yeah. You can, you can get it there. Grippo's, the chips, the barbecue chips. Have you had so We those? don't
1: have those. I'm aware of them, but we don't have them where I'm at.
0: Oh, you being like a spice guy would love those. Like I got them Oh man, they're good. Third thing and most relevant to this conversation is Big B barbecue in a jar. Also, not in my area. It's got to be. Yeah, I'll it's, have to look it up. It's in me. a it's in a glass jar. Great because you guys have a schnooks and I know schnooks carries yeah. it,
1: okay. Yeah, I don't shop at schnooks. No, maybe, you, have to. maybe you,
0: you know what you know what the truth probably is is that you've probably looked at that and thought, I'm not feeding that to my family. <laughs> I'm not touching that.
1: <laughs> no, I look it up.
0: I uh, we had a couple of jars and for whatever reason, I hadn't cooked it and like it was on the, it was on the border of being by the Best Buy date. I dehydrated it. I threw it in a couple of meals with some like white rice. So it was basically like pork and rice. It was great. It turned out great. It dehydrated great. It rehydrated great. And I think that like as a small side tip, what I have found, and you may be able to verify this or not, the best meat to rehydrate unless it's ground is something that's been pressurized or like shredded. Mm -hmm. So yep. Like canned chicken, for example, is way better than your own chicken breast. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if is has there ever been has there been anything else you've found as far as like meat that's already you you can
1: just throw on the dehydrator other than ground? Yeah, I mostly do ground meat um partially from hunting, right? is like I just have a lot of it and full circle. I'm always like, Oh, it's cool to, you know, shoot an elk this fall and then put it in dehydrated meals throughout the year and then be eating it on my hunt next year. I just love that. So I do a ton of ground meat, but I remember we did a podcast with, uh, I'm pretty sure the guy's name is Glenn, but he runs a site called trail bites. And when I was first getting into dehydrating, I reached out to him. I had all the questions, wanted to get all the answers. And so selfishly, I was like, hey, can you come on our podcast? And again, this was years ago. But I remember him as well as some other resources saying exactly that. Like, if you want to do chicken, especially chicken in particular, like skip everything and just go straight to canned chicken. Um, and I think it is the same. And um, I would be curious now with pork, for example, like my bad experience of even those foil pouches, Kyle, that you've used in reference. I like about those. Any of have those any rather than no, I would be curious to try them yeah. as opposed to like, you know, if I have a pork loin or pork shoulder that I cook at home normally, whether, you know, we smoke it, do it in the crock pot, whatever. Um, I'd be curious with the pork, for example, to do like a canned or like a foil pouch. Um, in that I don't I know we talked about that years ago with Glenn of why that's the case. I don't remember to answer your question why, but uh, fully agree that canned or pressurized jarred um, type meat seems to do much better. Yeah. He he may have they may be one and the same guy, but
0: there's another guy who uh runs a site called Backpacking Chef. It's
1: the guy, yeah, you're right. I think Skillbites is the name of his book maybe now that you say that it is that guy though backpacking chef it's a great resource yeah he's got i mean he has
0: a there's a wealth of information on his website that i believe is mostly free but you can buy a book too but um really 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 good place to start he's got a ton of great tips my um observation is the only thing i've never had good luck getting dehydrated and from a from a food chemistry standpoint it makes sense is anything fatty? Anything with you know, like um, either a really high-fat meat or um, a cream sauce or anything like that. And a lot of that has to do with the fact of you know, like if you were to put oil and and vinegar, oil and water in a jar, they would separate. So there's with oil, there is no more water to be removed. So you mm-hmm. end up with kind of this slimy, not necessarily slimy, but kind of rubbery, oily end product that you, I suppose it would rehydrate, but you know, the, the quote unquote risk is the fat would go rancid. And so it might have an off taste. It wasn't going to hurt you, but, um, you know, it might have a little bit of an off taste and a little bit of a texture issue, or it's just kind of rubbery versus you don't find that in really lean, um, meats, et cetera. Besides that, I've not found anything you can't dehydrate. So it's yeah. uh it's it's extremely versatile. And frankly, like yes, there's a giant cost savings when you dehydrate your own meals versus spending 10. Uh, I saw some that like, 10 would some, be cheap, I think, now. Yeah. I was gonna say you're you're 100 percent right, because I saw some small like cottage companies selling stuff for fourteen, fifteen, sixteen dollars a a meal. And when you think about this, like it's you know,
1: the cost of making chili, whatever that is, right? And, I was, Looking at, I actually had someone reach out to me, and it was like a newer cottage company. And I'm not like their margins are what they are, they're very well may be legitimate, yeah. but they had $18 yeah. dinners. Yeah, yep, yeah. And you're you're right. I mean, they. It's not like they're in business
0: for free, but at the same time, like if you're if you spend, you know, t- any significant amount of time out in the back country. In the fall that adds up really 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 fast so there's the cost savings but more than that truly the sky's the limit on what you want to take if you've got a food allergy or if you've got a taste preference or you know some companies only have like seven to eight offerings and you're tired of those or whatever the case is the versatility that it offers to me is well worth taking the dive into and spending you know a minimum of 60 to 80 bucks picking up a dehydrator and just trying a few things. And, um, you'll, you, you know, you'll, you'll start looking at stuff like even those nor rice packets, taking that and a can of chicken, throwing it on the dehydrate, there is a meal and that's gotta be no more than two or three bucks. By the time you buy the canned chicken and that bag of rice, and that's going to make a decent meal after a long day of being
1: out in the mountains. So, yeah, yeah I think, I think the, to add to the, like the value of getting involved, cause for some guys, I mean, you know, if you do, one five-day trip a year maybe it like yeah spend the 15 bucks a meal or whatever maybe um or mountain house is cheaper but like maybe it doesn't make sense at least for a couple years obviously the more time you spend out the more values there but to add to that use the use the dehydrator you know i'm not using it constantly there's times where i don't touch it for a while but i will you know especially as we get close to like spring and summer we'll dehydrate a ton of fruit, use it for snacks, give it to the kids. They love it. They'll take it to school. We'll take it, you know, on weekends. And, you know, yes, for me, the, the biggest value I see in it and the reason I started was to make meals for backpack hunts. But um, now just being able to do other things like make a giant batch of dehydrated bananas with cinnamon or um, apples, whatever. Like, I just I love it yeah ditto my wife um, somehow stumbled
0: upon a, a a like a couple of summers ago I guess it was a bunch of like fruit trees with plums and apples all sorts of stuff so she started making fruit leather for her and her friends she's had fun with it and um, even even thinking of snacks like sweet potato leather is delicious and you can grind that up and make mashed sweet potatoes in the back so there's so much versatility there. What about storage wise? And as far as nerdery goes, there's like a a giant spectrum of throw it in a bag versus I like seam seal it, throw five oxygen pouches in it, keep it in a humidifier. Do you have or have you
1: found one way better than another? When I started, I, I went the nerd route and got special like mylar bags and oxygen absorbers already owned a vacuum sealer, et cetera, et cetera. So I went off that deep end. I now throw it in a freezer grade Ziploc and I'm done with it. Um, So I don't do the fancy bags. I don't do the oxygen absorbers, et cetera. I do, if I'm not planning on using it relatively soon, I do put it in the freezer. Um, and that's how I, you know, like if I were to dehydrate that chili Mac in two days, I would throw it in the freezer till the fall. Um, that said, I've, I didn't do that for a long time. And I've eaten some meals that I personally dehydrated that were never in the freezer. They were just in my gear room slash office, um, for two years and was, they were perfectly fine. So I'm not saying that you should do that, but I've personally done it. I didn't die um, or get sick on the mountain. So yeah, to answer the question, I I did all the geeky fancy stuff. Uh, didn't see as much value in it. Just do a good, heavy duty standard freezer grade Ziploc. Um, and then I just pour it, pour the water straight into that as well. Um, and eat out of that. And I'll do one of two things, you know, pour the boiling water into the Ziploc. And then I do have like a little koozie to keep it in, um, just to keep it warm as it's rehydrating. Or, um, you know, you can just put it in your jacket or whatever to keep it warm. Um, but then what's nice about that as well is like the jet boil pot when you want to actually want to eat, I'll take that freezer bag full of food that's ready to eat. And I'll set it in my jet boil pot. That's obviously now empty. And it just gives it structure. So instead of holding this floppy and hot freezer bag full of food, um, I'm basically putting it in the jet boil pot, hold my jet boil pot and eat but my jet boil pot and never touch the food, right? It's basically the bag is like a liner um and just makes it very easy to eat. So that's another reason I like those standard freezer bags versus like the heavier mylar bags do have structure. They're easier to stand by themselves, but um they're not gonna fit like in the jet boil and yeah, whatever. There's there's a million ways to do it preference involved. Yeah, I um I just throw it in a standard Ziploc bag.
0: I mean, it's uh, just like your everyday common sandwich size Ziploc bag. And I'll do the same thing. If I'm not, you know, if I'm, even if if I were to make something today and don't plan to use it until maybe September of next year, I'll still throw it in the freezer. And I've pulled stuff out of there that's, gosh, three or four years old and it still is Tastes fine, rehydrates
1: fine, didn't get sick, nothing like that. It still works just great. And there's no, like, because there's no moisture content, there's no freezer burn, there's none of that stuff. Yeah, that's a good,
0: and that's a good point too, because it could, I mean, I, who knows how long it could last. But I, so I, you, you make a couple of good points. I rehydrate mine in the jet boil mug, which is why I just use like a standard bag. If I was going to do like you do, which is probably smarter and less of a mess and just use a, like a, I I probably would use a, a, a thicker freezer type of a bag. If I was going to use it as a liner, the other thing, and I've had this happen is depending on what you dehydrate, if you just use one of those sandwich bags, it will poke through, it'll get kind of pokey. Um, whereas I've used, like, you're talking about the thicker freezer ones and that tends to happen a lot less, but,
1: um, yeah. And that like, this is a nerd point, but I mentioned in my spaghetti, I'll often use macaroni. That's the reason why is so like spaghetti noodles or even like a spiral noodle is going to have like sharper edges to it. Whereas a macaroni is obviously more rounded. Um, and that's to help prevent like any punctures. Um, again, like a minute point, but in my head, it's like a noodle is a noodle. Um, I might as well use something that's a bit more packable. and not going to poke through that said, I have not had any issues with the freezer bags and you know, anything puncturing or failing or what have you. Yeah. And to to prove your theory that was on spaghetti.
0: So (laughs) (laughs) you're, you're, you're right. You're spot on there. All right. So any last minute tips and anything that you want to pass along?
1: No, I would just say, don't, you know, don't be intimidated. There's great resources. Uh, I will plug it for you, Kyle, your dehydrator guide. I wish I would have had when I started in 2017, cause it answered all the questions and laid it out so well, um, as well worth picking that up. And then we mentioned, um, backpacking chef, um, that's the website and then it is like his book is called trail bites but i think he also calls his blog that but anyway he's had a great site going for years and years and years ton of ideas resources um i think between those two resources your guide and that website like you have everything you need really
0: to get started yeah i would i would just echo what you said that you know don't let the all the uncertainties prevent you from doing it. And I, you know, maybe it's a time thing too, right? Like you, you do got to find the time to pan some of this stuff out, like, you know, plug it into the dehydrator and put the stuff out, but it truly is easier than it is than you think it might be. And uh, much of like your unanswered questions you'll get into and you'll just be like, Oh, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. All right. So cool. Well, thanks for joining, man. Yeah. Appreciate it. You bet. It's as easy as that. Those five key points and a ton of other information is available in the guide that I wrote on dehydrating your own meals. It's for sale on the website. It's ten bucks. I'll put it in the show notes in case you want to check it out. If you don't. Have ten bucks? Well, if you don't have ten bucks, you can just email me; I'll send it to you for free. Or you can check out the other website that we referenced, which is by the Backpacking Chef. Uh, He has just a a ton of really, really great information and a few recipes listed on his site. You you might enjoy that, and um, you know, maybe combining the two, probably get every question that you answer. When I wrote that guide, my my goal was. To basically take the notes on the questions that I had when I first started and put them into a guide. So I think that it's it's basic and it's designed to help people who don't know how to do this to start if they're interested. And it's you know relatively inexpensive, depending on the route that you go, like Mark and I had talked about and the the trade-off, once you get into it, the value in terms of like just intrinsically how how much you enjoy it and how nice it is just to have versatility in making your meals is truly priceless. So, we'll continue the series next week as Mark and I tackle another really really common question this time of year which is what should my nutrition look like based on my goals in the off season? What if I'm targeting something like fat loss? What if I want to build some muscle? What if I'm trying to increase my base for endurance? How should my nutrition change based on those goals? those goals. We tackle that and a ton more in part two. If you have any questions or future topics you'd like to hear us cover on the show, please shoot us an email over to info at v2pnutrition.com and we would be more than happy to take those on. Thanks for joining us. Have a great week, everyone.